I'll be reading from the first book of Peter today. Uh, Praise be to God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Not that you, are, you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Thank you. All right. Thank you, little fellow. That's my nephew, Franklin. Appreciate him reading today. Youth Sunday today. We're eventually going to get uh, Pastor Matt Komar up here. That's going to be exciting when that happens. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Uh, for those of you joining online, good morning. Thank you for joining. Kind of rhymes. I came up with that myself. Anyway, so good to see everybody uh, here today. So um, you all know this. Those of you who watch online, you might know this, but we have a parking challenge, right? We have a parking challenge here with the big lot gone, and we're coming in around this way. And I just want to pause for a moment and thank the parking team, because I think they're doing a great job. Yes. Fantastic team. So... You know that they're serving you, you know they're helping you, you know they have some new toys to help you get to the door sooner. You saw that this morning outside, okay? But there's something else that you might not know, is that they're walking around or they're driving around some now, right? The neighborhood, they're picking up trash, they're saying hello to all of our neighbors, they got a warm smile on their face, so they're actually making an impact in the community as well uh, while they're out there, and I think that's absolutely awesome. So when you see one of our parking team uh, members, just give them the thumbs up. Could you do that? Just say, awesome what you're doing, not just for us, but for, for everybody. All right, we're talking about hope. We're in this series on hope. The, the book, the letter of Peter, First Peter, all about hope. That's the focus. It's all about hope. Peter's the apostle of hope, the apostle of encouragement. And so uh, we're, we're in America. What we're told is, is we're suffering from an epidemic of hopelessness. So we're laser focusing on this topic of hope for four weeks, and we are now in week number three. What did we say in week number one? We said in week number one that the word hope in the Bible is used differently than what we use today. So when I say hope, right, I, I hope the Redskins win. Right? That's a wishful thought. It's probably not going to happen, but we, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a wishful thought. Okay, that we do it. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's a certainty. It's a no-so. It's not a hope-so. It's a no-so. How could it be a no-so? Because it's a past event, because it's focused on the resurrection, which has already happened 2,000 years ago. Now, you ask some people, do you believe in the resurrection? And maybe some people, maybe some people might say, yeah, I believe. Why do you believe? Well, I just do. I just do. Peter says we should always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. So, so there might be a little more preparation than just saying, I just do. I listed a book for you. It's the bottom of your little bulletin on the back where the outline is, right? The case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know this, everybody. There is actually substantial, actually, historians of antiquity. I, I read a quote three, four weeks ago in studying for this, that they actually drool over the amount of data that we have, historical data, that backs up the fact that the resurrection actually took place. So I would encourage you, if you want data, you want to be prepared, 
and maybe give a little bit more of an answer. There's a lot of material. I just am suggesting one book, but there's a lot of material that, that is out there about this. So hope so, no so. All right, that was week one. Week two, last week. Here's the thing, everybody. The main sort, there's a lot of practical things we're going to do. Um, Brian just talked about the adulting series we're going to get into. It's based on the book of James. There's a lot about practical stuff that we do to bring. We need to do that. But the main source of hope that Peter is saying comes from the new birth, this born-again experience. It's something happens in our hearts that births hope inside of us. Here's the problem with the new birth or born again. Like Jesus said to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, you must be born again. Probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible, for God so loved the world, right? That came from that same conversation, everybody. You must be born again. And here's the problem with that, new birth or born again is that historically amongst privileged or educated people, this whole idea of being born again or having a new birth doesn't set well for some reason. Doesn't sit well. But Jesus is really clear, and Peter is very clear that that's where hope comes from. I'm going to give you a case in point. There's a pastor in uh, Dallas, and this happened a number of, of, of years back. His name is Tony Evans. He was asked to go to the local high school. It, it was not a privileged high school. Right. They faced a lot of challenges, had a lot of dropouts, big challenge at this time. Would you please come and speak? All right, not after school, not rent out the facility and speak. No, no, when should you come? We're going to call a whole assembly. We're going to bring all students down to the gym or the theater, whatever, and you give, you know, go ahead, do your thing. So he comes, talks about a lot of practical stuff, but his main driving point is what? Jesus in a public high school. Altar call, come on down, we're going to pray for you. Salvation, born again. All right, so he's done with that. He gets a phone call at the office. It's like the superintendent or the principal. I can't remember who it was. It called him. Now, what's going to happen, right? Well, unexpectedly, he thought what was going to happen. is said, hey, buddy, thank you. You're never coming back again. And the guy says to him, the superintendent says, we have a dozen more schools. Can you please come help us? Because when, you know, when, there's, a, when there's a big need, particularly... In a community, like, it's like, come, you know, we know that we need hope. You would never get away with that in Arlington County. Just want to clarify. <laughs> okay. And next week, next week, we're going to finish the series off with this. The number one reason people say they go to church in America is they want to experience God. And Peter tells us how to experience God. And we are going to laser in on that next week. And we're going to do some, we're going to do something special up here. Okay. So I hope that you'll... I hope that you'll be a part of it, okay? Today, why should we spread hope? I want to talk about this thing called evangelism, all right? Why should we spread it? And what Peter's going to say to us is that it's natural. If you've experienced a new birth, if you've experienced this, what he's talking about, this born-again experience, if you experience it's natural and it's needed. It's natural and it's needed. He keeps coming back to after that. Now, let me say something real quick about evangelism, all right? I am not an evangelist. It's said that 10% of people who are followers in Jesus Christ have the gift of evangelism and they should be doing evangelism. And for a lot of other people who try to do evangelism, that um, if you try to do it like the evangelist and go up and talk to people, you maybe should just stop. Okay? Okay. Uh, all of us should be prepared. We should all give an answer. We should all pray about it. We should pray that hope burst in people's hearts. Okay? But I don't have the gift of evangelism. I can remember when I was in high school that our youth group went out and says, you got to knock on doors and tell everybody about Jesus that I prayed walking up that sidewalk that nobody would answer that door when I got there. Okay, you understand? Here's my thing about evangelism. It seems like the people, the people who are really interested in evangelism, they're all, I'm not, all right, sorry, I'm just going to say it. It seems like they're all weird, okay? <laughs> 
So when I worked at UPS all those years ago, man, we gathered, you know, our brown uniforms were ready to go and deliver the boxes. There was a guy who stood at the end of the belt as we're all there getting ready to charge in and bring you all wonderful packages. And he would stand there and he would either preach or he'd read like judgment, damnation sections out of the Bible, right? You know, it's like, those who came to, okay, look. This is natural and it's needed that anybody who is experiencing the birth should be top priority, should be seeing hope spread into people's hearts through the new birth. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be weird. If I was the devil, and I'll say it again, some people say I am, right? I would make sure that everybody who was out there doing evangelism looked really crazy. All right, so let's talk about this. There are four effects. I'm going to go through the first couple of them really quickly and dwell on the last one a lot. But there are four effects that Peter says happens when somebody experiences the new birth, right? New birth, baby. So you're thinking about a child. You're thinking about somebody born. So when you have a, a baby, a healthy baby, it seems like they're really interested in eating, sleeping, and then they're taking information, they're learning, right, and they're growing, Right? There's another thing where the eating causes something else, but let's not get into that, right? But they, they're, 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 these are things that healthy babies do. So here's four things that a person who's been reborn, new birth, born again, experienced. He says, first of all, you want milk. You want milk. You want milk. Let me say this. I forgot in the first service. I forgot in the second. They're on your outlines and hope if you can put it up on the screen. Uh, Pastor Derek wants to get together with anybody who feels they have to give to evangelism. He just wants to meet with you and talk with you and learn. And you can email him if you'll do that. PastorDerek.80 at TriGrace.org. Sorry, forgot that. Here we go. You want milk. This is what Peter says. First Peter 2.2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Babies want milk. I have witnessed this with my eyes. You have probably seen this yourself at some point before. Babies crave, they're healthy, they want milk. They'll scream, they'll cry, they'll turn red, they'll start pounding things, right? Because they want the milk, you know what I'm saying? So they'll make it known, I want the milk. And when you have experienced the new birth, you have a desire for what Peter's saying here, the milk of God's word. It's the Bible that's being spoken about. You desire to actually be, in, you have a desire, an internal craving to be in church and to study the Bible. You have a desire, an internal craving to sign up for a community group Bible study. Like, ah, so I, I just, I want the milk. I want to study. This is what you, it's a sign that somebody has been born again as this craving gets really strong. I just want to read the Bible. I want to study the Bible. I want to talk about the Bible. First one. Second one. You want obedience. A lot of times you talk about people with things that are in the Bible. Do this, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to. All of a sudden you have this desire to want to follow these guidelines that we see and even the ones that challenge you. Even the ones where it says, pray for your enemies. Oh, there's no way. Curse my enemies. Yes. But somehow something starts happening on the inside. You're like, oh, gosh, I don't want to do this. But something's like, why do I? Have you ever, when somebody's kneeling down, have you ever, like, they're picking something off the ground, you just come up to them and just give them a little nudge and they knock on You ever done that before? You ever done that before? You guys are too nice. I've done that before. It's awesome. They just say, you just did that little nudge and boom, they topple over. So when you have experienced the new birth, you're like leaning. You're, you're going. You want to for whatever, even if it's not natural to you, even something you don't want to do, there's something's happened inside your heart. You're like, I don't, but I want to. I want to do these things. It's the second thing that we feel. All right, third thing, you want love. 
He says it in verse number 22. He says, you have sincere love. Notice the word, sincere love for each other. Love one another. How? Deeply. So something's happened deeper. Now listen, this is where we got to give some context. Who is he writing to? He's writing to a group of people that are deeply, had been deeply divided, had been deeply, you think we got problems? They had serious problems. They wouldn't eat with each other, wouldn't go in each other's homes, wouldn't associate with each other. It was bad. It was bad. They were divided along, along race, class, everything. It was bad. The animosity was tremendous. And now he's saying you have sincere love for each other. People who could not previously get along outside of the church, who deeply, deeply hated each other, now for some reason are getting along swimmingly well inside of the church. How? It's the new birth, and this is historically true. This historically happened in the church as people experience the new birth. All of a sudden, they deeply, sincerely from the heart. Here's the thing, everybody. We're all nice people in this room, right? You're all nice, right? Who says they're nice? Anybody in this room nice? If you're sitting next to a nice person, raise your hand. Okay, someone didn't raise your hand, all right? But look, we all try to be nice, and there's people like at work or in your neighborhood, and and deep down, deep down in your heart, you can't stand them. But you act nice to them in public. And then you go inside of your house. And what do you do? Oh, oh man, you just let it go. Or you get on the phone with your family or friend and you just let it, right? Those people who irritate you so much, this new birth starts working something deep in your heart. And then deep down, sincerely, sincere, not fake, sincere, and something happens. That's the power of the new birth. It is so, we desperately need it. Who thinks we desperately need it? I think we desperately need it. We need a power, not an external conforming power to say, hey, you should do this. We need something that comes up from the inside of us that's organic, that's coming right out of our hearts on the inside. He says in chapter 2, verse number 70, you should honor your king. What? Can I tell you something about their king? Can I tell you something about their emperor, who they had? Bad guys. I mean, they were, they were after, particularly they were after Christians. You think about Nero, the emperor Nero, Rome, Right? So a few years after Peter writes this, Nero comes on the scene, probably put to death Peter. Probably he's the one who crucified. He says, you should honor the king. What? So they were imprisoning Christians. They were throwing Christians to the lions. They were taking homes, taking families, taking lives, taking money, hated, hated, hated. He says, honor the king. How, could you, how do you do that? Jesus, pray for your enemies. How do you do that? Something so powerful. Would this help us today? Something so powerful got into their hearts and transformed it that they sincerely, deep down inside of their hearts, loved each other. Here's one. President Truman used to say this a lot. I love this quote. He says, the only new thing in this world is the history you don't know. The only new thing in this world is the history you don't know. I want to strongly encourage you to become a history buff. Really. To know you have one one history fan over here, okay? <laughs> to be a history, know your history. Where did the idea of civil rights come from? Where did the idea of human rights come from? Where did the idea of equal rights come from? Huh? You think some of the brilliant people of the past that was so obvious to them, it wasn't obvious to Aristotle. Aristotle, not at all. Some people were just meant to be servants and slaves. That's just, the, that's just who they are. You can find it, quotes all over the internet. Right? It wasn't so obvious to us. So everybody said, it wasn't obvious. 
wasn't obvious till somebody came along his name was Jesus Christ and his followers got born again and something changed their hearts so powerfully do you realize, even though the Christians were so persecuted, Rodney Stark wrote a lot, a lot about this in The Rise of Christianity, right? But you could read it in many different sources, many different sources. Even though the Christians were persecuted so badly in Rome, which is probably where Peter was martyred, so badly in their lives, that when plagues would hit Rome and everybody would run out of Rome, that the Christians would run in and care for and love for their enemies, that's how powerful the new birth is. What if that was unleashed in the hearts of people? Where did the idea of a loving God come from? You go ask your neighbors, particularly all of your neighbors who don't go to church, don't want any part, whatever. You believe in loving God? 90 plus percent will say, yep, yep, sure do. If I asked you in this room, almost 100% of you would raise your hand and say, yep, sure do. Where did that idea come from, everybody? Is it just obvious? Of course it's obvious. Nobody believed in a loving God. Nobody believed until Jesus Christ came along and he talked about the new birth and people experienced the new birth. We today across the world talk about a loving God because of the new birth experience of Jesus Christ. Fact, not fiction. Total fact. That's the power when God gets in our hearts and changes our lives. Look, I grew up in church, been in church my entire life. You would think I would understand Jesus. I had zero understanding of Jesus, right? I, I just, I thought it was a bunch of rules. I thought, you know, God was there keeping me from doing a bunch of fun stuff. Ah, nervous laughter by some of you, right? You know? <laughs> I wanted to, that's all it was to me. And, you know, I'm trying hard, I'm tr notice this, I'm trying hard to follow the rules. I'm trying hard to follow rules. And because of that, because Christianity was a religion to me, it was a list of things that I do, and I was trying hard, and maybe other people weren't trying hard. It just now, here's the nature of the beast, everybody. It just makes us, if it's something that we do, it makes us begin, have to, you have to begin to do this. You have to begin to kind of look down at the people who aren't doing what you think is right. It's just the way we are. It's, the, it's human nature. So I didn't even think other churches around us, I, those people aren't Christians. They don't go to my church. And that's how bad, that's how bad it was. But something began to happen to me. I began to understand. It was a story of redemption, not a list of rules. And the Holy Spirit began to open my heart to this new birth, and something changed deep inside of me. It was amazing. I remember being at a meeting. I've told this story before of a group of pastors, and it was after, right after 9-11 took place. Hey, we're going to have this ecumenical gathering. All kinds of people are going to come together, leaders of all kinds of religions. We're going to come together. And I was at this Christian pastor where it was being announced. Hey, let's all show up and do this. And the guy next to me just goes off. And he's like, we're not going to do that. People aren't going to know we're praying to Jesus. I'll never be, you'll never get me caught dead there. And he's going off. And then he looks at me and says, John thinks the same way. And I'm like, what are you talking about, you know? We feel this separation. We feel we have to put other people down. We have to clarify something so strongly that, hey, you know, this is... I feel strongly today more than ever about Jesus Christ, but I don't feel this need to put people in their place because of my belief in Jesus. And I feel this hope inside of me that's organic, not forced. 
I got to sit in first class one time. It was amazing. <laughs> I could never afford it. It was on an international flight, long story, circumstance. I got to sit, oh, it was incredible. I was like a kid in a candy shop. This is phenomenal, you know? I can't, and they're like serving you like you get on first and they're just... Like you have your own private person that's way, it's just absolutely fantastic. I was so happy. There's a guy across the hall, he paid his way on. He wasn't happy. You know why? Because he earned his way there. He was entitled to that seat, he worked for that seat. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You earn your way there, no hope. But if you see it's all Jesus Christ, the story of Jesus Christ, oh my goodness, something's going to birth inside of you and it's going to be so wonderful and powerful. Last thing I want to say, and then Matt's going to come up and help us out here. You want to, you want to spread hope. Man, you do. You just want to spread. It's, it's just, that's a part of the new birth. It's just something, right? You've got to spread hope. You look at a world, you, you want to tell people, you want to tell people a list of rules. I want to go to the disciples here for just a minute, Okay once we build a case, all right? But you really, you can't. Like, I've got to let people know about the hope there is. You, you know what, what the Bible says in the book of Romans? It says everything written in the Bible is written for us to give us hope. If you read the Bible and you're seeing something besides hope coming out of those pages, something's not, I'm just saying, according to the Bible, something's not right. So you should see hope just rising off of those pages. And so you want to spread that hope and Lord knows we need that hope. Here's what it says. All right, here, here's what you need to know, right? Verse 3 to verse 12, chapter 1. Verse 3 to verse 12 of chapter 1, one long sentence in Greek. It's one long whopping sentence. And it's all about we have a living hope because we have a living Savior. That's what it's all about. Death is enemy number one. Philosophers tell us that all the time. Death renders everything meaningless. Jesus focuses Enemy number one, death, deals with death so that we could have, we could have hope, okay? One long, then verse 13 starts with this word, therefore. So one long sentence, then therefore. Here's the imperative. So it's saying, uh, because of this, here's what you need to make sure that you do. So here's the imperative. Then he says this, therefore, with minds that are alert, fully sober, set your hope on the grace. So he's saying this. I want you to be alert and sober to focus on the grace. The grace references the gospel, which we've been saying the gospel is a summation of the entire Bible, right? And it's the story of Jesus Christ that's found in all the pages of the Bible start to finish that really what the entire Bible is about, it's the story of Jesus Christ and his incredible love for us, right? We've been talking about that, so I won't belabor that point. I want to talk about the words that he chooses to use here. You have to stay alert. So two things, alert and sober-minded, alert. He uses a word here to be totally... So actually the word he uses is when you would take your robe back, they wore robes back then, and you would tuck it all up because you're ready to run. Like you're re put me in coach. I'm, I got the, you know, I'm not sitting on the sideline with my robe down. I'm over here with the robe. So it harkens back to the Israelites who were in Egypt. And God says, hey, I want you to eat the Passover supper, ready to leave Egypt. I want you to eat with your robe all tucked up because you've got to be ready to roll. It's game time. I'm focused. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to go. There's no ADD moments here. I'm totally focused on this. What are you focused on? You're focused on the gospel. You're focused on the story. Don't lose focus. Second thing, sober-minded. Don't be drunk. Now, what happens when you get drunk? Don't answer. 
when you get drunk, you have a tendency to kind of wander off. So two buddies of mine, they went to see the Redskin game. And one of my friends drank a little bit too much. It could be because he was feeling hopeless and miserable about the Redskins. Okay? And he drank a lot. So when he got back to my buddy's house, he had drank so much that my other buddy said, hey, you can't drive home like this. You're going to have to spend the night here with me. Now he's out of it. Okay? So he comes in and goes into the bedroom. Boom, he's out. In the middle of the night, he's got to get up. Okay? He gets up. He's disoriented. He's still from the drinking, all the alcohol. He's not really sure where he is. He thinks he's in his home. He's not in his home. So when he goes in the bathroom and he comes out of the bathroom, the way he normally turns to go back to either his room, and in this case, he was just going to fall down. He has a little daughter who's going to fall down in her bed and fall asleep. He turned to go and was going to fall down in her bed. Instead, he was in his friend's house, so he got in his friend's bed with his friend and his wife. Okay. And he's laying there kind of out of it, sleeping, and he's thinking he's running his fingers through his daughter, his little four-year-old daughter's hair. He's actually running his fingers through his buddy's wife's hair. Okay. This is awkward. You know, these, we wander off. We wander off. And what Peter is trying to say here is you've got to stay focused on this one thing because here's what it's all about. Peter himself, in the book of Galatians, Paul calls him out. says, Peter, you are acting what? You're acting like a racist. And Paul calls him out. says, Peter, right, you used to be hanging out, you know. You're eating ham all the time with the Gentiles, and now the Jews come to town, you won't have anything to do with the Gentiles anymore. He calls them out. What does he say to them? He says, thou shalt not be a racist. He doesn't do that. You should read it in Galatians. He says, you are ignoring the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Because when a person focuses on the gospel and they're reborn, and then you continue to be sober, no ADD moments, no drunken moments, you're focused on that, God continues to work in your heart not thou shalt not. It's always the story of the gospel that has the power to go deep down in our hearts and to change us. It's amazing. My family, we took a walk on Roosevelt Island. Anybody been to Roosevelt Island right down the street here? It's a wonderful place. Somebody needs to clean up the memorial. We should take it on as a church because it's a beautiful memorial with wonderful sayings all around it. Great quotes from President uh, Roosevelt. Really amazing. He's got this one quote there. And he says this, if I had to choose between peace and and righteousness, I'd choose righteousness. Now here, here, I'm gonna tell you why this is so important. It's because we talk a lot about peace, peace, peace. The Bible says this, peace, peace, there is no peace. We need peace in this world. And we should keep talking and we should keep educating and we should keep working and we should keep doing that. But what the Bible says and what Roosevelt, I think, is saying here is we can't find that real peace that we're looking for by external measures. Something's got to get down deep in our hearts. It's called the new birth. That's what the Bible calls it. And work organically inside it, not an external conforming, an internal transformation in our hearts. That's why, everybody, we need to be really, really interested in spreading the hope of the gospel message of Jesus Christ to other people. Now, Brother Comar's going to come and help me. And uh, we're, we're, we're going we're to close this out. Okay. 
Hey, good morning. Everybody good morning. say uh, good morning. Welcome. Pastor, uh, you got your no notes? No notes this time? No notes. He's going I no notes. I had too notes. many notes last time. No notes. Talk way too much. I'm just going to get straight to the point. You're going to get straight to the John point. John has graciously allowed me to come up and be a part of this morning's message, which is all about spreading hope and implore you to jump on board with this one thing. And it's seeing hope be spread in our middle schools and high schools this year. Anybody with me on that? Yes. Yes. So listen, the real goal for my time here is to get you to pray with us. Whether it's not with us in person or if it is with us in person. But here's the thing. This Wednesday, September 6th, we are having a prayer throwdown for our middle schools and high schools. Because we all want to see hope spread and we want to see it start in our middle schools and high schools. Who's with me? Yeah. My goal is to get every able-hearted prayer to be a part of this on Wednesday. It's our Youth and Family Day of Prayer and Fasting. And you are invited to fast with us all day Wednesday. Bring your whole body into this. And if you are able, join us at the Boston office at 6 p.m. And we're going to spend, an, you have an hour, and you come whenever you want, 6 to 7, move freely between five different rooms of focused prayer for our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, their schools, their administrations, their teachers, their communities, the families, the parents, for wisdom, for young life and wildlife, amazing organizations that bring hope into our schools. And then at 7 o'clock, we're going to break the fast together and we're going to have a meal. And we're going to share community. But John gave me a few minutes to convince you that this is not something that you should miss. Because we absolutely cannot have another school year this year like we had last year. TV show called 13 Reasons came out. Lots of different opinions about it. I don't encourage you to watch it. There are some episodes you will want to crawl into a shell uh, because it's dark. 13 Reasons came out and uh, I talked to a lot of counselors in schools across Northern Virginia. I talked to teachers, I talked to principals. And here's what they say. They said, you know, you can watch that show as an adult and you could see the intention. You can see that this show has the potential to generate a deep sense of empathy. And it could be anti-bullying and all that. But you talk to the people who work with the kids, they say this. Didn't, do, didn't accomplish that. It just, it just made suicide cool. It just gave it power. It just brought it to the forefront of kids' minds who are actually wondering why they're alive. And who are struggling. Talked to counselors in schools. Uh, they said this past year they had never been asked to complete as many suicide assessments with students as they ever had. Counselor in Northern Virginia, he's been a counselor for 22 years. He said last year was the worst year. Last year was the worst year. Multiple assessments per week. And he's just one of four counselors in the school. We can't have another school year like we had last year. Last year, it was a school year where uh, you, could, you could characterize it, two words, 
anxious, depressed. This is a new school year, and so there's uh, lots of surfacey hope going into it. I hope this school year will not be like last year. But I know there are kids going into this school year who are saying, I'm only going to give it three weeks. And if this year is like last year, then I'm not sure. Postmodernism tells them that God is a fairy tale. And it's a joke to believe in him. Social media isolates you. Research proven. Wealth causes you to think about everything you have that should satisfy you, and then you realize, oh, I'm not totally satisfied. And all these factors um, bring us to a point where this is a reality. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for our teenagers. Second leading cause of death behind accidents. Almost 20% of deaths, kids ages 10 to 18, are suicide. We've got a generation who's wondering why they're alive. We've got a generation who is ready for a new birth into a living hope. Teenagers, man, they're so passionate. They got all this new gray matter. They got all this new gray matter and they're able to contextualize themselves in, in light of eternity and realize, okay, I've got a life now. What do I do with it? And I need a reason. And I want I want so badly something to live my life for. Counselors will tell you we haven't found the answer. We throw all kinds of curriculum at our kids. We've got different classes. We've got different studies. We haven't found the, the answer. And, uh, and I'll conclude with this. Um, we're going to pray for our teens and we're going to pray that across Northern Virginia, we see in our schools new birth into living hope. You've got a bunch of teens in this church who are excited about this. In fact, a few months back, I want to show you a picture. We took a group to the beach. We left at 3.30 in the morning, and uh, we said, hey, everybody, let's talk about what's going on in the schools. Let's talk, about, let's talk about hope. Let's talk about freedom. Let's talk about the way that God has provided for us to cross over into freedom because these are the conversations we're going to have at fall. And we want pictures that will help us talk about it. Grace Community Church, these are your teens. These are your teens that said, hey, let's, let's think about the way in which God has provided Israel to cross over into freedom because our generation needs an exodus like that. Because our generation needs a new birth into a living hope. And so let's just, let's put ourselves in this position and let's take some pictures and let's give us a way to talk about this. And so our prayer is that God would reveal himself in mighty ways this year. The Exodus, the neat thing about the Exodus, when God provided a way for his people to cross over to freedom, when he gave them the, uh, the, the new birth into a living hope, it all started when he heard the cries of his people. And we're cl closing down this morning and I just want to just say, Wednesday, pray with us. Let's spread hope and let's see it start in our middle schools and our high schools this year. Amen.
Thank you, Matt. Thank you, buddy. Well, let me close down with this. So this Wednesday, if you can be present, that would be wonderful. If you can't, pray where you are. But I would like to encourage you to make prayer uh, about spreading hope through the new birth uh, a, a priority in your life. Like praying for our youth. I, I, don't, I don't know of somebody who has experienced a genuine you know, new birth who is not interested in spreading that hope that they have found, and particularly amongst our youth. Every healthy church I know has a strong priority on children and youth. Some of you, when Matt said 13 reasons why, you're like, what? What's he, what's he talking about? It's okay. The cool factor is worn off of your life. You're not hip. You don't know what's going on. It's okay. <laughs> it's a Netflix series that has wreaked havoc in our schools. Hey, the richest schools. You think you're going to do well and you're going to be accomplished and you're going to protect your kids or kids who are privileged kids. It's the privileged schools who are suffering the worst, everybody. Those. Because we can't give hope by material possessions. And Matt just told you. The counselor's like, man, we're trying everything. And they should. And they should. But nothing's working. Nothing's working. We need hope. We need a living hope. It's, it's serious. It's very, very serious what's happening in our world today with hope. It's very sad, and I hope all of us are concerned and will be concerned enough because of the new hope inside of us, hopefully if we experience that, that we want to spread that to other people. Let me close by saying this. I had an opportunity um, four, five, six months ago to go to Little Rock, Arkansas to speak to all the senior chaplains in the Army National Guard from all over the country, right? And I was there a day before I was doing these presentations, and I wanted to get to know what they're dealing with. The senior, so the senior chaplains are over all kinds of other chaplains underneath them. What, what's going on? What's their first word out of the mouth? Person after per, chaplain after chaplain after chaplain. I said, suicide. Talk, you got to talk to us about suicide. Five times the national average in the Army National Guard. Who? Young white men. Suicide. It's rampant. It's rampant. We as a church make sure that we are alert, sober, and focused on this priority of sharing the gospel story of Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that we never wander off because when you wander off, bad stuff happens. Let's stay focused on this. Last story, and I'll pray. So uh, when I'm there at the Army National Guard out in Little Rock, uh, they have a service every morning, Catholic service, Protestant service, Jewish service. Which service did I go to? Well, I'm Protestant. I went to Catholic high school, so I went to the Jewish service. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, got to meet the rabbi. He said something. And some of you, some of you Bible people are getting ready to say, what did you say? This is going to be very interesting because that's what I did when he said this. You find the story, of, we've been saying this, the story of Jesus is cover to cover. The entire Bible is about Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, you find these things about Jesus that are constant, that bring hope to us and start to make everything make sense. And he said this is, you know, when the Israelites, they left Egypt, and they're out in the desert, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive, you know, the Ten Commandments up there. He's up there 40 days. He says, he says, rabbinic tradition is, 
is that they were faithful the entire 40 days. Like they didn't, you're like, what? How, after everything that God did for you, you're going to turn your back on God and go all this. They were faithful the entire time, except everybody for the last six hours. When he said that, I thought, oh my gosh. Now, some of you Bible people know what I'm talking about. How long did Jesus Christ hang on the cross in the worst possible conditions? What does the gospel Matthew tell us? Six hours. Yesterday, I just did the funeral for my father-in-law. For all of his life, he could never come to peace in terms with God because he could, it was always falling short. We need to tell our kids we will always fall short and that's what he came to do for us. He came to redeem what we could not redeem ourselves. And when they understand that amazing story of unconditional love, that power of the new birth gets in our hearts and it is transforming and it bursts a living hope inside of us. May we as a church never lose focus of that because when you do, good stuff happens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can have new birth into a living hope. Lord, remind us all week to pray. Pray for our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our enemies, that they might experience living hope through the new birth. And Father, for our children and youth who are going through so much, this suicide rate is a result of hopelessness and depression and anxiety that is going off the charts. God, just let them be exposed to your presence and the understanding of your unconditional, wondrous, amazing, unrelenting love for them that they would be able to live life with a new hope and a new purpose to the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord that we can come before you in your holy name. Everybody said amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.